Welcome back to another episode of the Poseidon Theatre Company podcast. I'm very excited today to have the producing artistic director of the Tribe Theatre Company in New York City, Nick Brown. Hello. Hello, Nick. Thanks so Hi. much for coming in today, man. Thank you for having me. So, Nick and I met uh, actually via social media in a yeah. lot of ways. We were Tribe... I feel like you guys started jumping into the social media world of promotion right around the time we were kind of aggressively chasing it too. It was and the I, exact same time. Exact same yeah. time. And so I, I would notice them immediately because there's certain things about, you know, when someone has an aesthetic, I was like, oh, look at this is a cute logo. And these kids are like really going in. Um, and then we just reached out to each other because theater people never talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest was history, you know? Like, I, I have to say, I'm, I've been really excited to see what they've been doing and thrilled to have them here and to have people in the circle in New York who are making theater uh, actually communicate with each other because we're all trying to make it happen. So, Nick. Thank you. Yes. Tell me a little bit about your background growing up in Maryland and what started the bug that bit you to be part of this world. Cool. So um, I grew up in St. Mary's County, Maryland. It's a small rural, rural town in the bottom of Maryland near the Chesapeake Bay. And uh, we didn't have a lot of theater, but my my mom could see my dramatic flair as a child. Yes, mom. Yes, mommy. Right. <laughs> yeah. And she like would take me to these summer stock shows that they would do like every summer. Um, and they would do like Joseph and Honk and Lehman at one point. And, um, was it professional people who happened to be using the theater, or no, was it just the high school? It was like high schoolers from all the different high oh, schools. Oh yes, like kind of countywide. Yeah, and they would call yeah. it summer stock. But this is the highest thing that we had because we, we had literally had nothing. But that's that's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, and so they would do like really good productions, at least from my point of view as a child. <laughs> and mm. um, and I just fell in love with it that way. Uh, my mom would take me a, a, a couple every summer, and then eventually I was just like, I have to do this. And then I got to middle school. And then they were doing Annie. And of course. Of course they were. And um, I just saw the first one. I just, the magic of the whole event, even though yes. it was school theater, just like enticed me. And then I just volunteered to do tickets every night. And I showed up every single night. And I was so dedicated. And that just kind of, you know, sent me on my way to just be involved in every aspect. Well, um, I mean, really, there's something to be said about that where you use the word, the event of theater. Yes. I 100% agree. I vividly remember the excitement of feeling that event of going mm -hmm. to a theatrical production that I think maybe is something that is the initial seed that gets planted in people who end up being directors. Yes. The whole like perspective of like everything happening from entering the lobby and the buzz mm -hmm. and the energy and the preset, uh, it's something that I think young directors are very cognizant of. Yes. Uh, so, you were completely transformed by Annie and Joseph, so was I. I listened <laughs> yeah. to that soundtrack every fucking day uh, back in the day. Uh, mm -hmm. So, that started. You're in middle school. You're volunteering, uh, uh, learning what really theater is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's be real. <laughs> there you go. And you're learning all these skills. Mm -hmm. And so, I would imagine in high school, how did that all turn out for you? So, I took every theater class I could. Uh, I was in a little improv group. And... Um, I took the directing classes, and then I even um, directed a play for my church, um, Golgotha, The Passion of the Christ. Yes, Golgotha. Yeah. Yes. So I, I grew up Catholic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, so, and I would do everything. Like, I set designed at one point, and I, even when I wasn't in the shows, I would, like, assistant direct. Like, yeah. I just love the whole, the whole thing. And so, yeah, so I was always, like, an active member in every side. When I couldn't be mm -hmm. in it, I was, I was helping on a different, different side there. From... Early on, I just knew this is what I was going to do, I guess. 100%. Yeah. 
And you went to Point Park College. Yeah, Point Park University in Pittsburgh. Point Park University. Yes, sir. My apologies. Um, In college, you formed a company you called Pinnacle Productions through the school. Yeah. Talk to me about that. So I was an acting major at school, and I was taking a lot of directing classes, and then one of my professors, Rich Keitel, was like, you have a flair for directing. You should really look into this. And I was like, I'm an actor, you know? Yeah, of course. You know, of course. My ego or whatever. Yes, yes. And... And um, I was working on Doubt for one of his classes, and he's like, you should direct this fully. And so I was like, oh, okay. And so I did. Me, I co-founded Pinnacle Productions with my friend Tony Moe, and um, it was kind of like a site-specific um, student-run organization that's sponsored by the school. Nice. Um, and we did Doubt, and then someone did a play called Talking With that same year. Of course, Talking With. Yeah. I won an American College theater award for oh, sound really? design for talking with. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, that's so <laughs> random. Oh yeah. my god, I love that. Okay, amazing. Yeah, and then um and then I and then it just kept going. Uh, Lindsay Sherman, who's now a member of the Tribe Theater Company as well, yeah. she took it over after me, and it's been going on for, I think, seven years at the school, which is really cool. Um, That's amazing. That it's, that, you know, it has that much excitement, and people are that passionate about doing site-specific you know, exploration. And have they maintained the mission of what you initially started with your co-founder? Yeah. Yeah, right. they have. Yeah. That's, yeah. So they're just passing the torch. They are. So one day you're going to go back like 25 years from now and be like, <laughs> I've begun Pinnacle Productions. I know, here. yeah. So that, to me, seems like the initial incubator for what has led you to what you're doing now in the city with the tribe. Yes. I mean, it, at least it probably showed you that you knew how to make that happen. Because the one thing I find to be very elusive is when any of us are like, hey, let's start a company. What does that like, mean? What the fuck does it mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? No. And the thing that's interesting is we've talked about this just as human beings over coffee. No one wants to tell you. Yeah. It's like some weird secret inside of a secret inside of a, uh-huh. uh, like a locked like cave. Yeah. And, <laughs> and no one really wants to tell you what, what it is or what, what you're doing. Uh, especially because I think a lot of people have this notion that, oh, I have a theater company, so what, what, do you have a freestanding theater? Yeah. Most people don't. No. That's, it's a very rare thing. Transport Group, for example, you know the boys in the band was initially staged in a fucking apartment. No. Before, and out of poverty, not oh, out wow. of, like just out of favors. They had someone I love that. who had a, a lovely property who was a, a, a certain echelon of money, okay. and he's like, let's stage it here. That's they didn't amazing. think. They didn't think to themselves, "Oh, let's do a site-specific show." No, yeah. they staged it in a GD apartment because they, out of sheer favors and and pulling any resource they had. That's so cool. But and look at look at where they are now. Yeah, that's how a lot of exciting work happens, especially in site-specific theater. Though, it's yes. like you just have you have constrictions, especially in terms of budget. And you're like, I want in, to do a show. In I terms want to be of amazing. Rent, yes. In terms of anything, especially in New York, money's horrible. So you have these restrictions and you're like, what can I do within those restrictions? And sometimes the result is incredible because within those parameters, you, you know, you paint something beautiful. 100%. And then what I think begins to happen, I relate to this. We were actually asked by a critic with Poseidon, like, oh, you guys are a site specific theater. And I just went, sure. Yeah. Because everything we do is in a different space and therefore every experience is its own standalone experience and i frankly embrace that now because like the next show i'm working on which will be announced later is also going to be site specific but it's also yeah exactly but it's also because one i think it's an interesting way like you said to use the resources you have and two as you self-produce you've got to make it work 
Yeah. You know, and I think that's something that maybe a lot of younger companies in the city are starting to do. But I do think that one has to think outside the box because straightforward rent on a theater space is quite restrictive. Yeah. Because one can only have so many shows Mm -hmm. because, oh, well, maybe we do have enough money, but we can only do six shows. And then we all know that you have to run for a certain amount of time to be reviewed. Yeah. So I think what's happening with newer companies, and you're a great example of this, is using resources all around you. But before we get deeper into how you're really making this happen, let's backtrack. We're getting excited. Okay. And my (laughs) my coffee's kicking in. Talk to me about what was the advent of you realizing, okay, let me try to form a theater company. Yeah. So, well, like I said, I I have been doing, you know, forming small companies and or um, doing projects, self-producing for about like six years. Yeah. Um, and but I was also still acting because I went to school for acting. So you know that BFA was like, use me. <laughs> no, but also too, yeah. I, there's an empathy that I feel you can only learn when you're actually performing and acting on stage. That I I I think is a wonderful asset to have as a, as a director. It's very valuable. It's I very valuable because you you're completely bathed in empathy for their process, for mm-hmm. lack of a better description. Yeah, and so you're right there with them as they're yes. crafting their role. You're right there beside them in the muck of it and helping them navigate, which is exciting to have that you know foresight. Yes. Um, but I, I did a children's theater tour, um, uh, and I hated it. You I just, booked your first gig. Was I that your first like, gig gig? Yeah. Uh, yeah I having, mean, having in New been, York. Yes, in New York. Yeah. And and it was this <laughs> – I, I don't like using the word horrible, but it was a horrible experience, and it, I got – so stressed and depressed and it was it was a process and it was they'd been doing the same shows for i think 25 years and so, they were directing it the same way they had done for 25 years so it wasn't that the actual company or the production was bad it was what you experienced during the rehearsal process that really affected you yeah and so going back to like the whole idea of being an actor it was yeah. just like i knew how i like to be treated as an actor and what felt fulfilling in terms of my own artistic um exploration or um i don't know you know expression yeah and it it was very stifling and and it wasn't a great experience <laughs> i guess i'll say so so during that that was kind of it gave me the impetus to to be like okay i want to create more opportunities for people that that are more nurturing and organic and exciting and fulfilling. And so that kind of, you know, really put the stamp on it. I was like, hey, when I get back to New York, I'm going to start producing again. And I'm going to start, I'm possibly going to start my own company. So that and, was the moment. And did you realize before you thought of it as a company, did you almost think of, I need an umbrella under which I can produce work? Yeah. I, cause I, that was my initial thought. I'm like, I feel like I need an umbrella, but I don't really know what that means. Yeah. And then it came to my attention that, oh, this is a company. Was the base of artists that you work with now always there from the get and you sort of just got everyone whipped into the frenzy of actually starting the company? Or was it you who spearheaded it and said, yo, do you want to come join the circus with me? Both. I started with a show. I wanted to direct a show called Punk Rock. I was searching for a show that I could do with a small budget in yeah. a site-specific space. I reached out to some friends. I was like, what do you think? And someone sent me the show, and immediately I was like, I have to do this. What's I Punk Rock to. about? It's about um, – it's loosely based off Columbine, a school shooting. Um, oh, I see. And so it's about these eight students who are – it's kind of like breakfast clubby in between class. And they're in the right. pressure cooker of society and grades and all these things. And, um, you know – 
with each scene, like the intensity rises and rises, and then someone eventually snaps. And the whole play is like an exploration exploration of why do these things happen? Why do school shootings still can uh, continue to plague our society? Which I really liked that it wasn't telling you how to feel. It was just like why, you know? Yes. And so I absolutely had to do it. Who wrote that? Uh, Simon Stevens. Simon Stevens. Yeah, he also did Curious Instant of the Dog in the Nighttime and Heisenberg recently on Broadway. He's really awesome. But so. I, I wanted to direct this play, and so at the same time, I was like, I need that umbrella, as you talked about before, yeah. because I keep producing, and now let's just put a name on it. And so I used a lot of people that I've used in the past in terms of self-producing. And, of course. You know, I have this ensemble. I even called my friend Tom, who lived in Chicago, and I was like, I want you to be the lead role in this, and he moved to New York. Um, wow. And then we worked on it and rehearsed for six months, actually. It was a very slow rehearsal process, which I really enjoyed, and during that time, we were really navigating, well, what does it mean for us to be a, a company and or be yeah. an ensemble theater company? What does that mean? Um, and so it's really been a nice, slow process of discovery for us um, because, like I said, we kind of had this gift of a project um, during our inception um, which I think is actually a good thing. A lot of people like, are underground for like three years before they even do any art. And for us, it was like we started creating art immediately. I 100% agree. I think, well, because, I mean, first of all, theater is not about theory. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to get that first show up soon because then you all, one, understand your vibe and your aesthetic. Yes. And you understand, here's the deal. Even if it's your first small budget show, you are beginning the stamp of your brand identity, for lack exactly. of a better word. Yeah. And you're also all understanding the energy and the flow of what your vision is going into this as a producing artistic director. Mm -hmm. When mm -hmm. punk rock went up, were you the tribe officially by that point? Yes. Okay. We were. So did that happen right at the top and then you guys went into punk rock so that the umbrella was always there? Yes. yes. Okay. So it was like as we were talking about doing the show before we entered initial rehearsals, we mm -hmm. were like, we need some sort of umbrella. So we grabbed that. Yeah, because the thing and is... we used that. Absolutely, because you can't just be like, hi, we're... There's something very self-indulgent when you're just like, we're just a group of actors putting on a show. Yeah. And I hate to say it, but there is also something from just the general industry that takes you less seriously. Yes. And it's a sad thing, but it's true. It doesn't mean that the work that people are self-producing as a crew of friends isn't relevant. No, no, yeah. But, you know, we do work in a political system of theater. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It is what it is, especially uh. in New York. So punk rock is... Up and happening. Talk to mm -hmm. me about when that actually was in front of an audience. Well, we actually pushed it back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to go up in, in November and... Um, November of? Of 2016. Oh, my God. Yeah. And um, and we needed more time um, because at this point, we were we started rehearsing in May, which is so cool. Um, but we were only rehearsing, you know, a couple times a week. And we, we wanted more time. And I was like, hey, like... We've never done a show before. We haven't even announced when the show was going to be. Yes. So we were just like, let's do it in December. So we took our time, and uh, we it went up in December uh, in the basement of Chinatown Soup. So site-specific. We used this space, I think, to its full potential. Nice. <laughs> and, um, and it really, I thought, came to life. You know, and, and what I mean by that is, like, the space came to life. And yes. because of the space, the show came to life. The event happened. The event happened. The event happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that. And um, it was amazing. It was a really big show to do as our first production because we also, the show's called Punk Rock because it's inspired by 
um, punk rock songs. Mm-hmm. Each scene's inspired by a punk rock song because it's kind of like anarchy and all that. Yes. And so we actually had a band of three people who who listened to those songs and listened to the text and then created music that was played live at the show as well. So it was, you know, it was a full, I yeah. think, event, um, a large undertaking. But we did it. And it was, it was really a, a nice defining moment for us because then as we were you know continuing to put the pieces together for what it for who we are over the next two years Mm -hmm. we were able to look back at that like you said and be like oh no that's who we are you know we already did it we already have a a a very clear example on the wall of like the type of work we're trying to do and like how we want to do it well also probably for you as the leader of the ship Mm -hmm. you were learning i always say this and i i'm there must be a better way to describe it but I'm certain you were learning your religion and your vocabulary as a leader. Yeah. Because there is a certain dogma that directors live by, really. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that thing that's unspoken that none of us really know how to talk about. But we all know that we have our religion. Mm-hmm. I can even make fun of my own now because I, I've been doing it for so fucking long. That's cool. <laughs> that I, I completely know it and I know the vocabulary of it. But you see it. You see when you go see a director's work... Uh, David Cromer, uh, <clears throat> I, I think he was on the American Theater Wing podcast, and Howard Sherman said, well, you're obviously like working through something. And then he mm-hmm. goes, oh, yeah, come watch me work through my mother issues on stage. I don't even know if he said mother issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he like laughed at himself because I think in that moment he almost realized, too, I guess I really am working through one thing all the time. Yeah. You know, it's like Tennessee Williams obviously was working through everyone thinks it was the alcoholism and the booze and the drugs. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is he had his sister who he was incredibly close to lobotomized by his mother and he watched his sister deteriorate into a shell of a human being in a, essentially an asylum. Wow. And he never recovered. And he spent his entire life writing about tragic women who were put upon and sort of like left to wither and die in their own bodies, you know? And so he worked through that his whole fucking life, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I, I digress, but I think that's something that I'm fascinated with by watching new directors and new companies is watching them figure out their religion. Yeah. From the outside as well, just looking at you and what you guys have created. And I've only had the opportunity to see every brilliant thing, every brilliant thing, which was fucking wonderful. Directed by Lindsay Sherman. Directed by Lindsay Sherman. And I saw Julia, 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 Julia Warner, Julia. I saw Julia do it. It was double cast. Mm -hmm. And, it was wonderful, and it was really cool for me to start to instantly recognize a religion in what you guys are doing there and what your aesthetic is and what the yeah. energy of the piece is. And to be perfectly honest, I'm mortified by its participation, and I ended up playing the fucking father in the yeah. piece, which was <laughs> horrifying. But I just – anyway, the point is – so yeah. I've literally actually been immersed in a tribe experience, and I will say there's an immediacy and an urgency – and a very human touch to it. But at the same time, too, it's not this like fluorescent lit realism mm-hmm. that I sort of hate. Yeah. It's like if I wanted to watch my problems under lights, I would just fucking live my own life. Mm. I need a little bit of a heightened theatricality. <laughs> Do you yeah, know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. And that was the thing I think you really accomplished is that you guys are giving an immediacy and an intimacy and an urgency. And it doesn't feel forced but at the same time, it's just heightened enough that as an audience member, you're able to submit to the experience. Yeah. That's what I've picked up from what you guys are doing so far. Because I, I, I would imagine that uh, every, every brilliant thing, every production you do as a company gets shinier. 
I would imagine that that was probably a shinier production than your first one. Yeah. Because everyone's, everyone's does. Because you're yeah. like, okay, let's get a little more sparkling up. Exactly. So enough about me going on and on about that. But That was nice. No, hey, that. hey, that's how I <laughs> feel. You. No, seriously. It's, and so you did punk rock. Is that around the time when you guys really started pushing for the branding and the aesthetic experience of like your online presence? was, um, Or was it happening at the same time? It was happening at the same time. Um, you mean punk rock kind of um, pushed us into social media, or? Well, I think what I what I mean by this is something. The reason why the tribe stuck out to me is because they had the wherewithal to be awake, uh, to be aware of the fact that we live in a place where most people judge us with their thumbs. Mm-hmm. And you guys seem to have a very crystal clear idea of about here's our logo, here's the vibe. We're going to brand this company and we're going to stick with it Yes, and we're going to create a a vibe. Mm -hmm. And you guys have never really faltered from that on your Mm -hmm. content. And I, and that's really cool. Was, did, did the, did the spearheading of going in that direction and really obviously giving great detail to that come after punk rock? No, that was always happening. That was always happening. Yeah. Got it. So we came up, uh, Jonathan Freeland helped us, um, with, the design of our logo and kind of our general aesthetic. He also designed our website. Um, nice. So we did that at the top. Um, kind of, you know, we did a, a launch party, um, if you will, um, in August. And the show was in December. But that was happening, like, you know, in August. And um, it's it's been it's been nice because we've always had that aesthetic. Which What's interesting is, is living by it, like you said. It's... Um, I mean, for me, it's always about just taking my time and on decisions, um, whether it's like an event or or our next show that we're going to produce. But um, it's very important to me, and I think the rest of the tribe too, always stick to our mission and to our general aesthetic. Um, which, which I mean, it's nice to hear that you said that we are doing that, but it's it is difficult, um, especially for a theater company because one tends to think, okay, what am I advertising? What am I doing mm-hmm. now? The thing that you are all getting accomplished that is very impressive is they uh, continuously have activities and events. Both they do an open mic night, uh, they do scavenger hunts, (laughs) and they have an entire reading series, which is a really smart way to keep an audience-based event calendar happening in between what we know is almost fucking virtual impossible task of producing full productions yeah because it's so fucking hard it's it's a lot and so yeah it's it's extremely nice to have those because we do we do maintain our audience space and we have people asking when's the next full production which is nice um and it furthers our idea of ensemble and community that's also a really defining aspect of who we are um by, by doing these events, really kind of, we had the opportunity to really reaffirm the um, sense of ensemble that expands out of our company and encompasses our audience space as well. You're clearly as obsessed with the audience's experience mm-hmm. as you are with just facilitating the work. Yes. It's evident. Yes. that the exper- And that's something where I think there is a line in the sand because we've both witnessed it. You'll mm-hmm. go see something, mm-hmm. and it isn't that it isn't a fully achieved production, mm-hmm. but you can tell that the audience's experience was not the point of the show. No. And I'm not saying that one cannot become successful doing that. You certainly can. But I feel like in this day and age, it's paramount that we're doing it for them. Yes. I mean, it's it's everything. I mean, they... 
a play isn't a play unless it has an audience. Like they're yes. part of the production. It comes to life when you have them. So in my mind, doing a play, you know, a nice play up on the stage, and it's it's it sits there and it's beautiful. That's great, and I love that. And sometimes I, I see plays like that, and I'm very moved. But when you when you include the audience, I don't necessarily mean immersive theater, but when you include them in the exploration of the text, like yes. in your development of your play, in the direction, in um, you know the way that the the actors have a relationship with them and all, all, all these things. Um, it becomes an event. It becomes, like we said before, and more of an experience. And that's what I am definitely, and I think the tribe, is interested in, in doing. Well, and also I think it's the kind of theater that reaches out to people who aren't simply theater fans. Yeah. You're opening up a whole new demographic of people who are like, you know what, I don't really like plays, but this is cool. Yeah. And that's that's, we need that. Plus, right now we're so... We're completely in a vortex of of obsession over a computer in our hand. Mm. And I think people <laughs> like to unplug and disconnect and sit together and hear a story. Yeah. And I think people are gravitating towards it. And the more we have these new companies and pockets of work that are available outside of larger commercial theater, which don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. God willing, we all get a commercial transfer. We'll all be, yeah. oh. yes, passive income, <laughs> yes, <please>. passive <laughs> income, passive income. Of course. And I think one thing that you just touched on a, a minute ago was, was that you said it's not necessarily just for theater people, you know? Yes. I like that about our productions. There's something very theatrical about them, which makes them very exciting, but there's also something that's very pedestrian. Yes. Um, I don't want to create art for art's sake or art for art people i want to create art for all people yes um you know what does it mean to be alive what does it mean to be human right now yes these are the questions i think are important and that's what makes theater relevant and timeless and really important new york city is a very odd place to create work because i think if we actually wake up in the morning and realize what we're trying to accomplish we'd probably be crippled and not even be able to get out of bed because oh, it's an impossible thought <laughs> yeah. you're like i'm making theater in new york city mm. come see me when you can go see a fucking celebrity for 40 dollars yeah you know, but come see me. But yeah. I think that when we're doing it and people show up, we have to continue to remind ourselves that we are succeeding. Yeah. Like we're fully succeeding that people show up to these shows that we're creating. Yes. And it's really important to remind myself why I'm doing it. Why do I create theater? Why am I an artist as opposed to measuring myself against other people or where I think I should be or all these weird goals that we have in our head or weird expectations for our future, you know. And with being inundated with the Instagram life and the Facebook life, mm -hmm. we sometimes we perceive people having more success than they are or I just the sheer just insecurity of being a human being yeah. of being like, oh, these people are doing so well. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm fucking up. Yeah. But we, I feel like as people leading groups of artists mm -hmm. we really have to make sure that we keep our head up and just keep marching forward of course like uh, the two words that pop to mind are like persistence and patience you oh know? it's like let's repeat it persistence. persistence and patience yes it's like knowing when to persist and then knowing when to be patient but not giving up because sometimes you have to wait a long time for them to say yes theater is the you know? essence of patience yeah it's the biggest thing i'm learning barely now almost pushing fucking 40 yeah it's you have to sometimes you have to fucking wait months years. months yeah. years yeah years i think it's actually the hardest part of what we do yeah, because it's, it's hard. I mean, you see people giving up all the time, and I just want to, like, when my friends get close, I just think, like, 
you know, it's not, you know, the, the, it's the old analogy. It's it's uh, missionary, not mercenary. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> but it's you know, it's a it's not a sprint. You yeah, know? you have to think of the marathon. Exactly. Yeah. And, the, they talk about missionary mindset and mercenary mindset. Uh-huh. Like some people are going for the short goal and the quick payout, yep. and then other people are in it for the mission. Yeah, and you and you have to be. Otherwise, what the fuck is the point? Yeah, you know. So the tribe theater is up and raging. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about your team. So we have an awesome team. Um, we we all started, or most of us started in punk rock, and then we kind of you know started um, shifting and molding into different positions, figuring to, out who had their yeah, assets in this, exactly and who's this to start um, you know to push the company forward. So we have um, Nick Duggins, our literary manager. He um, is responsible for reading all of our play submissions. This last year, we had 215 plays submitted for our spring reading series. Which we're going to go back and unpack about because that yeah. is an amazing thing you're and, doing. And he's amazing and he helped us navigate those plays. We have Lindsay um, Sherman, who's our um, audience outreach um, and education like manager or supervisor. And who directed Everybody, Everybody Thing, which yeah. is fucking great. She's multifaceted. She's amazing. Um, and so she really helps us to like target specific audiences for each show like who is this play important for and why and and bring those people to see the show that's amazing um and then also create education programming or things that surround the show to you know further develop those themes and then we have maddie who's amazing she's also multifaceted she is our like set designer essentially but yeah. she's also our marketing manager now oh, so that's great a lot of the things you see on instagram or on our website are all spearheaded by her um so nice. she really is <laughs> yeah she's moving everything along as well um, and then we have the entire ensemble. We have a great ensemble of people who who kind of jump in and get their hands dirty with with every project, um, whether it's acting or, um, you know, helping run a gallery, minutia, or whatever. <laughs> you know, everything. granular details. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you've got that all hands on deck thing happening. Yeah, but you, I mean, it's necessary. It's necessary. It's it's a lot of responsibility for these people, and so I'm really grateful that they all, um, you know, dedicate so much time. Um, but we're all very passionate about what it is that we're doing and why it is that we're doing it. So it's really, it's nice. I mean, but but to go back to it, it's really it's really difficult to to make sure they're all on the same page at all points in time. Because of course, New York City is just you know a, a thunder fucking storm. It's yeah. just always you know everyone has things happening to them and around them all, at all points. Everything in time. is actually happening as fast as people think who don't mm-hmm. live in New York. Like I think we get used to the pace of it, yeah. but we don't realize. And this is not in a, in a better or worse way than anywhere else in the world. But, the, but the amount of shit that goes down here in 72 hours is mm-hmm. staggering. Yeah. Like what can happen to you over the course of even a day yeah. is astounding. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, one, we aren't slaves to an automobile. And we mm-hmm. get up and we march in the direction of our goals every day. Yeah. So the physical reality of actually being in the bullpen with the rest of the metropolis, mm-hmm. I think, makes for a very like frenetic energy yeah. that also makes good theater. Yeah. And you know, what's funny. I'll bring this up right now is that <laughs> we meditate as an ensemble, which I think is so I am cool. so fascinated by this. <laughs> There's, I feel like we could go on and on. Yeah. So we, uh, okay. So that is something that I am fascinated by. And actually my company members, when we were working on our last show, we're looking at your guys' post mm-hmm. and we're like, look at these tribe kids all doing yoga bless their fucking hearts like mm-hmm. i'm so fascinated by that but that's amazing to me that's something that i find to be very i'm just completely floored by it frankly that you guys get together and do that so talk to me about this group meditation 
that you all do to create a continuation of your collective consciousness. Yeah. So meditation like has a couple layers within our company. Like one of our our goals as a company is to meditate on themes that are permeating society right now. 100%. So we meditate on whatever is happening. You know, we don't try to give you answers and make you feel any certain way. We just like, well, let's explore that. Let's unpack that. We choose shows that, that do that. Um, the other thing in terms of meditation is that we like literally just lay down and we meditate. A lot of times before we start a rehearsal or a meeting, we'll just lay down the floor and one of us will pop up and lead everyone else to a guided meditation. Like Lindsay does some really cool meditations. Um, I do a lot as well. Um, we had a retreat last fall, and we literally meditated like twice a day. And, and then we went on a hike, and we did like a meditation hike. We were like silent for an hour and a half. It was really cool. It was like children who couldn't speak and just playing with leaves. And then we eventually made our way to the top of this mountain, like a clearing. We all laid, this sounds such like a cult. No, it like a cult. Uh, no, it's not a cult. No, this is <laughs> and, uh, this is you're you're pushing past yeah. the general constraints of what companies in the city do, and you're really. I for I hate to use the word blessed because it feels like it has a religious connotation, mm-hmm. but you you seem very fortunate and blessed that you have a group of people who want to participate in that. Because to be totally yeah. frank with you, as someone who's lived in the city for just about twenty years, mm-hmm. it is virtually impossible to get a group of people together to Just all do yes. the same thing at the same time and also to want to practice a similar thought process i aka meditation mm-hmm. together i would venture to say i've almost never seen it happen like i've certainly gotten group of act, groups of actors together and and obviously in particular with my company mm-hmm. who have a similar mindset and a similar set of skills to be able to achieve something and also who respond to a process but to get a group of people together in the city who are like, yo, let's meditate before this meeting, there are definitely going to be two people who are like, absolutely not. I'm going to go get a coffee. Yeah. And so I feel that what you have is very special. It is. And that's I, it's, it's incredibly fascinating. And anyone listening, I think, honestly, if, if you have a crew that's down, chase that part of the company too. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're, and it, it makes, it makes things difficult when we go to try to expand because there's these aspects of ourselves that we kind of feel a little bit vulnerable about. Like the fact that, I mean, at least I do, that we meditate. Like that's something that we do that maybe is a little bit strange, you know? Oh, meaning like if you were to invite in someone that you really didn't know. Yes. Yes. And, and we are looking to expand and, and our ensemble at a certain point, we are looking to bring in new people, but it's like, do they drive with this weird thing that we do? You know, maybe, maybe not. But the cool thing is that we had a jam. We do these things called jam sessions as well. Yeah. And we had one a month ago, and we opened it up to a lot of people that were considering for acting in our spring reading series. What and is the is the jam series different than open mic? Works yes, in progress. Works in progress is what it's called. Work in progress. Work in progress. Yeah. yeah. Um, the open mic is work in progress. Jam sessions are actually private things that we do as a company. Normally once a month. We've been having a hard time meeting up lately, but it doesn't matter. Um, it's a private thing that we do where we meditate and we do a viewpoints or we just do like ensemble work and oh i've seen pictures of this yes yes we and do it at the gallery and exactly yeah, okay got it got and it. sometimes we'll invite outside artists to like come in and lead us in, in yoga or in meditation or whatever type of thing that they like to do whatever they're exploring in their own you know yeah. artistic endeavors and use us as guinea pigs um which is fun um but those are days where we can just invest in each other as artists and just simply focus on process and like really not have a product that we're aiming for just like kind of exist in space with each other so we did this for kind of for our audition for the spring reading series with like 
20 people who came in. Oh, nice. And we, I was very nervous because I was like, I'm going to do this my way. Yes. And I'm, and I don't know how they're going to think, feel about it. Well, it's going to go one of two ways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There's really, yeah. Yeah. And so like. (laughs) And it it, went well. It went very well. People really enjoyed it, you know? And we meditated on the floor and then we did viewpoints and people brought in monologues, but they were able to use it during ensemble work, but no one stood up and like, I'm doing my monologue for you now. You know? So it was like a really different way of, of getting to know these people that I really we all really enjoyed it. and it seemed like the people who came really um, enjoyed it as well so that was cool well that's fantastic I, I think that what you're really talking about even though you're going about it in dare I say a more esoteric way mm-hmm. which I completely understand because I mean you know the kind of shit I like to work on is all based in grief it just is it is yeah. what it is and I love that you say meditating because I always say this that you really do have to sit and meditate on the work now, whether you, the fact that you're getting to do that with a crew is mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, but to me, what your process-based gatherings, more or less, mm-hmm. seem to me, they seem to just be an extension of your taste level. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, that's the hugest part of being a director. It's our yeah. taste level. And like you said, you didn't know if these people who you brought in from the you know outside mm-hmm. were going to respond to it, and you were nervous. Yeah. And you stuck to your taste level and your crew stuck to their taste level, which is meditating viewpoints, mm. dot, dot, dot. That's, that's where you're at. And people responded to it. Yeah. Now I, I recently had a, something outside of my company independently where I was brought on as a director for a new project and we had a, a reading mm-hmm. and I did what I always do. Mm-hmm. It's an adaptation of a screenplay that we're going to work into this live event. Cool. Now, here I am, all like super fucking professional mm-hmm. actors, median age, 35 up, mm-hmm. like working, working, working actors. Yeah. Not that there's anything, not, I, I don't mean that in some weird, all I'm saying is I was a oh, little yeah. intimidated because gotcha. it wasn't my crew. Gotcha. It was just a bunch of working actors. I completely understand that. And I was like, hi, I'm the asshole at the head of the table. You mm-hmm. know, like there's always, I mean, I'm, I'm confident that I know what I'm doing, but I was fucking nervous mm-hmm. and I did what I always do. I'm like, I'm going to work with sound even during this reading and I'm going to literally sound design this show on the fly. Yeah. And just run with it. Cool. And I was like, these fucking people are either going to start laughing at me or they're going to be like, what the fuck is this? And right at the top of the stage descriptions, I started playing prologue music mm. and just did the whole, and like used a canon of music I thought would be appropriate that I lucky enough to have for my composers. That's so cool. And they were living for it of they were course. even laughing sometimes because yeah. it was so on point yes like i had certain sound yes. cues ready that i was like doom or thunder or this or that and they were like god the fucking music really does something doesn't it that sounds like because you, you know you've yeah. seen my shit like the music is it's that other character in the show yes. for me i just i have to have it it's I, I i don't know why it is what it is and i but i was right there like i was so fucking nervous it's mm-hmm. the most nervous i've ever been because i'm like these people are gonna literally think i'm a fucking asshole yeah or they're gonna think it's dope and it it luckily they thought it was dope yeah isn't it amazing that like we use all these words from brilliant people and then i'm like it was like super Super dope dope. like i don't know what you guys are thinking but like we got together (laughs) no but there you have it and i feel like the example you gave what i thought were it's two two different sides of the same coin Mm -hmm. we both are now reaching out to other people outside of the people who are used to our our noise yeah 
And it's always a little terrifying because you're like, they might think we're ridiculous. Yeah. But it turn it seems to me that if we trust our taste levels, our taste level, yeah. and we trust what it is we know to be our truth to find more truth, yeah. whatever that means, people tend to respond to it even if initially they weren't even open to that idea of doing that as a process in the first place. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like not apologizing um, for your process. I mean, being an artist is extremely vulnerable. I think good artists, artists, like, I think, kind of have to be vulnerable at different points in time. It's weird because you're simultaneously have to be an extrovert because you just have to be Mm because you're communicating to the whole crew. And at the same time, too, I feel like... You would never think this about some dude who has fucking two podcasts and like always mm-hmm. is talking, but like ultimately my go-to state is like indoors, kind of alone, blanket, blanket, <laughs> working on something, yeah. reading, researching. My first instinct isn't to go out. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm very happy being home, but it's an interesting thing. I think that part of that has to do with being an artist because you have that burden of consciousness yeah. <laughs> and you're awake and you're like visual and you, and you're so aware of everything happening around you that I think mm-hmm. it becomes overwhelming. And therein I, I is where I think a lot of us as directors have been lucky that we have a medium to channel all of that curiosity and sort of terror and try to make sense of it in some granular way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think, if if you it's like the, with the vulnerability thing, I think as if as an artist, you have to just cut yourself open and be like, "Look, this is what I think it yeah. means to be a human." It's really terrifying to do that. And the, I mean, on the flip side, you could put layers on and be like, "This is you know, if, if you're trying to please other people, yes. you're putting on layers. You're saying this is what this should look like, or this is what you might expect, or this is what you might want from me." You know, but there's something that lacks truthfulness when you're doing that. The on the flip side, you're, you're cutting yourself open. You're like, look, these are my organs. This is how things yes. maybe work. Maybe this is what it means to be alive. Maybe this is the pulse. Like maybe you know, uh, but it's something extremely terrifying from doing that. And I think once you once you just take the leap and just snip, snip, you know, and all the guts come out. That's when people are like, oh, my God, you're right. Well, there has to be kind of a call of battle of like, fuck this. Let's just do it. Let's just go. Yeah. Because we, the, you can't get too caught up in that part of it. Like you said, obviously, we're doing work that is going to be reviewed. And that's all part of the process. Like the results. The know, results, whatever. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But if you're, the thing is, if you're chasing the story... I, and I'm not saying this to be religion or truth, yeah. but if you're chasing the story and you're and you're definitively wanting to communicate what's happening in that story, it tends to go well. Yeah, it'll tend to go well. Get, lost, get yeah. lost in that. Get lost, get lost in, the story. in discovering why are we telling this story? What is important? What is the all the heartbeat of this particular production? If you get lost in that, you can't really. Go wrong. Well, Denise Goff, you know, uh, People, Places, and Things, yeah. and then now Angels in America. Yeah, and him. she's also been working forever. Yeah. But Denise Goff said an interesting thing how she viewed getting roles as not even necessarily something that she wasn't right for. She says, there's that thing. She was being esoteric, but she just mm-hmm. called it like, there's that thing, the character that's, that's alive, yeah. and it just needs to find a body. And there were times that I wasn't the body. Oh, she I goes, for that. People, Places, and Things, I happen to be the body. Yes. That it needed to inhabit. And I feel that way a lot about picking material as someone who leads a company because mm-hmm. I'll read something 
oftentimes something that maybe is a hundred years old, thousand years old. Mm-hmm. And this, this sounds fucking weird, but like I hear them actually start to like, I hear it and I hear the, it's like the antenna turns on and all of a sudden like it's good it's coming through. Right. And you're just a conduit and it's a yeah. channel. And then it starts to talk to you. And in a weird way, the material says, we, can you like, can you, will you voice this for me? Yeah. For lack of better mm-hmm. articulation. Yeah. And I feel it like, like right now, this piece I'm working on uh, that I'm adapting, uh, very famous playwright. I'll announce it later. Mm. And I just heard her voice. She's fairly contemporary, actually yeah. very contemporary. And I was like, Oh, I hear you. And I, and I was, and I wanted, I want to be able to tell that story or like the character starts talking to, I know it, it's, it's like, sounds like you're going crazy, but I feel like when it's really happening, the bodies that are in the story get inside of you and you start to think about them as fully fleshed out human beings and you want to give them justice. One of my favorite acting teachers said, you're breathing life into someone else's soul. Give them justice. Yeah. It doesn't really have anything to do with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that's very cool about what you're doing because it seems to me that you're not shying away from trying to be open conduits to it. So that way you do get lost in the story or lost in the sauce. And it actually ultimately ends up really not being about us at all. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know if I can say much more than, than what you just said. I mean, that's completely spot on. It's just allowing yourself to be a conduit for the story. Um, there, I, I mean, like in, in Suzuki, they talk about um, how the stages in Japan used to be built on uh, grave sites. You know? Yeah. And they would do the stomping on these stages to really awaken their ancestors. They would, yes. And it's all about telling these stories that these people have passed on. For me, it's very similar when I'm looking at per, a play. It's yeah. like if I see it in my head and these and these voices are exactly. speaking and it just it's it's not really I don't have to think too much about whether or not I'm going to do it. It's either happening already or it's not. Or it's not. And if it's already happening for me, I'm like, okay, then we're obviously going to do this. Even if I'm the one, even if I'm not the one who's directing it, I just can already see it existing in time and space. And I know there's yes. like some sort of immediacy or urgency in the text that is asking to be shared. Exactly. Even and I'm sure you feel the same way because you can only do so much work at once. I'll even start to. I have like a stack of things I know that will come over the next years mm-hmm. over the next several or oh, i have I, I actually yeah. have like a 10 year plan of rep that's so because cool. it's the shows that i'm like i see it i'm yeah. terrified by it yeah. i gotta figure out how to visualize this and make this happen but i hear it and i see it and then i, I put it down and i'm like we're gonna get back to you mm-hmm. you know it's and it, it is true it's it's funny it's almost like the antithesis it's almost like the antithesis of logic yeah you just hear it and see it and i'm actually not really worried because i know intuition. it's just gonna happen it's intuition and so we could, this is a, this is like another podcast. We could go on and on I about know, this. We're going to do a panel eventually. We'll figure this out. Okay, um, <laughs> but let's, let's, I want to go into uh, talking about ways that the people who live in New York or the, or the, or the boroughs or anywhere nearby. Cause I know if you're listening from outside of New York city mm-hmm. and you come visit, come see them as well. But let's talk about where um, the opportunities are right now with these, mm-hmm. Uh, your spring reading series, your works in progress is really cool. You now have a scavenger hunt. Well, it just happened. It was yeah. our spring scavenger hunt, and we we had a good amount of people come, and it, that was cool. It's it, it's fun to do an event that's like non theatrical and that that kind of sticks to your mission. And it was just, well, it's a collective experience. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And we just sent these people all over the city to discover brilliant, amazing, beautiful things that you normally just walk by. So yes. it was like a day of um, awakeness. I don't know what you would. 
Awareness. Um, awareness. Like, awareness. Walking mindfully and being like a cognizant of where you are for an entire day and just looking for these little beautiful things and, and existing kind of as a child in the city. You know, we're always running around. Yes. And we have stiff lines. And like, well, and we I'm have to block adult. out all the madness around yes. us. And even all the beautiful, shiny things. We're like, got to keep going. Yeah. Don't have time to actually be a tourist. Yeah. And so we gave people permission just to be That's... tourists and just to be goofy and take funny pictures. I and love like, that. Yeah. For a day. So that was exciting. Um, the work in progress, uh, we have those monthly... We took a break this month because we're doing the spring reading series, yes. but we pick back up in June, June 17th. Is and that's month. at Manhattanville. Man- Man- Manhattanville Coffee. They sponsor us and they allow us to do our events there. They're amazing. At the, so the work, work in progress is essentially an open mic. Yes. And do people do mixed, um, oh, yeah. uh, mixed disciplines? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. We've, um, we have stand-up comedians sometimes. We have a lot of poets, which I love. Um, some people that weren't poets before and they came to one of our work in progresses and started writing and now they're sharing. We have um, singer-songwriters. Um, we have people that... Um, Do you ever have people just come in and like, I'm going to sing a cover because I haven't sang in a long exactly, time. Exactly. That's fucking great. Yeah, we have some people that sing musical theater, which is totally fun and fun yeah. and amazing too. And we have we had someone do a monologue once. We had one one um, girl who was in the coffee shop before we started and she's like, what is this? And uh, we started and she was like a mover. So she played a track and she, she did her... Like a dance sequence for us, and that was like it was really cool. Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, it was like site specific because we're in this little coffee shop, and she's using what she has. So it was really neat. But it's just like a, a chance for us as a community of artists, artists to uh, invest in each other, and just to um, present where we are in our process. You know, it's work in progress. So it's like whatever you're working on, like do it. And there's no judgment. It's a very free and open space. So it's very. Um, it's nurturing. It's nice. We get a lot of the same people coming back for more, which is cool. Well, it's also a great way to keep creating experiences with an audience outside of full productions. Yeah. I, I'm, it's very impressive. So you, there's the work in progress. Mm-hmm. That's cool as shit that I got to get to at some point. I'm always working. Um, and now you have, well, you've had uh, success with this spring reading series. Yeah. So how, is this the second or third iteration of it? Second year. Second year. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's it, it's cool. We just accept submissions for like a month and a half in the fall, um, and we got two hundred and fifteen this year, and which is amazing. That's amazing. Nick Duggan, our literary manager, helped us sift through them all, and we all read a chunk, and we cross read, and we shared, and we talked about them, and we chose four, um, and they just happened to all happened all to all be by female playwrights, which was really cool. Oh, that's great. We didn't even know until after we chose them, and. Um, they're incredible plays. We have one more tonight, actually, and then we have another one on June fourth mm-hmm. um, that I'm directing. Actually, it's called Night, Night Creatures. Um, and so, what happens? The what happens is these playwrights get teamed up with you, and then you have ensemble members read it. Yes, but we actually bring in outside people as well. So this is really a chance for us to dabble with other artists. Got it. So hence the jam session. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So so we have like one or two of our company members in each mm-hmm. play, but a lot of the the people who are reading for these plays are um, from from outside, if you will. Yeah. And so it gives us a chance to mix and mingle with other artists and be like, hey, you're cool. Um, maybe we'll collaborate with you in the future. Um, same thing for directors. I'm directing one. Lindsay's directing one. We'll, we brought in two outside directors as well. Nice. Um, so we, you know, we just try to enhance or give voice to these playwrights' um, works, and then hopefully they can further develop, or maybe we'll do one of these plays in the future as well. That's amazing. Where can we find you online? Uh, thetribenyc.com. 
has all of our info, all of our events. And then what's your handle on all the other little fun social medias? It's Tribe Theater Co. on Instagram. That's our main thing. Yeah. Um, the and Tribe Theater Company on, on Facebook. Uh, we're pretty easy to find. Um, but our main thing, if you want to follow us, is definitely Instagram. So Instagram. So, Nick, I'm so thrilled that like you came in here and we had this talk. I feel like we could keep going and going and yeah. going. But I think the thing that I'm really excited about is I feel like... For some reason, the people who are all kind of on the same Morse code of what we're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. with our communication, mm-hmm. we all kind of seem to be finding each other yeah. and finding each other with no ego. I love it. And finding each other with no pretense yeah. because we there's room for all of us. And I think that as long as we're all collectively trying to communicate, then like we can't go wrong with all knowing each other. And I think it's, I think honestly, anyone out there listening, stop being such a fucking weirdo. I'm just going to say it. Reach mm-hmm. out and say hello to somebody. Yeah. Like the worst thing Nick could have done is just ignore my DM or yeah. like his, <laughs> or, or Marianne. Uh, what um, was her name? Who, who, who runs oh, this? Maddie, Maddie. Or Maddie yeah. could not have passed it along. Yeah. This fucking dude from PTC wants to say hi uh-huh. to you. Uh, so, but I'm saying like the worst thing that's going to happen is that you reach out to people and you just say hello. But I think it's important that for all of us who are creating theater that we talk I mean, we're all in our own bubbles, but we're all trying to essentially create the same thing. And then what's going to be dope, fingers crossed, is a decade from now when we're all killing it and we have like transfers and properties yeah. are picked up, people are going to be like, how do you bitches know each other? Like, girl, we knew each other back in the day. No. Back in the day. Like, we were just like <laughs> having coffee when, and like honey, talking about meditating. No it idea. was like super fun. I love her. <laughs> yeah, no, she's great. It's always been good. Um, anyway, Nick, what a pleasure. Uh, what a Thank thrill to have so, you here. Thank so you much. so much for giving me your time. You. This, 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 this fucking man showed up here with this theater <laughs> company in a bag and was like, let's record a podcast. <laughs> well, I drink coffee and we sweat. Uh, it yeah. couldn't be any better. All right, it. then. Well, thank you so much, guys, for listening to another episode of the Poseidon Theater Company podcast. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Poseidon Theatre Company podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and rate us. Connect with PTC on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You can visit us at PoseidonTheaterCompany.com. That's theater with an R-E. Join in the conversation with any ideas or questions you may have at info at PoseidonTheaterCompany.com. From all of us at PTC, we thank you for your interest and passion in the arts. Let's continue communicating and creating.